today I am joined by Devo Tyndall. He's an entrepreneur, holistic branding strategist, and content creator. We're going to talk about hiring and firing clients. And it really starts with you and your business and really having some clarity around who you are and the value that you add to the world. We get better clients when they find us. Obviously, the win-win scenario is we want people to come to us. People don't buy your product, they buy the experience they get with your product. And for me, communication is everything. I've been relatively blessed in the types of clients that I've had. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Frustrated by Your Marketing podcast. Today, I am joined by Devo Tyndall. He is the founder of Fusion Creative in North Carolina. I'm assuming that he works with clients all over the country. Usually, that's how it works in the digital space. According to his bio, he's an entrepreneur, holistic branding strategist, and content creator. He's a master storyteller, master photographer, which I'm super interested in. Took a look at his website a little while ago, and it looks like he uh, shoots with Canon, so I uh, give a thumbs up to that. And his firm also does web design, social media, SEM. You know, he does he does it all, and you know we're gonna we're gonna talk to him maybe a little bit about that and our. Our specific topic is we're going to talk about hiring and firing clients. And, you know, this applies to even more than just, uh, you know, an agency hiring and firing a client, but, you know, whatever business you're in, whether you're in the restaurant business, whether you're, you, you own a firm, whether you're uh, in an internal marketing team, working with the right people is super, super important. Knowing how to find them, knowing when to get rid of them uh, is important. So we're going to kind of go through that today. So uh, welcome, Diva. Thanks so much for uh, joining us. Thanks, Jim, for having me. I have to ask, though, do you have someone in a box nearby trying to escape? I hear a lot of thumping and... Yeah, I... Um... <laughs> do, do, have you captured so, a small animal in your office? Um, that would be my three-year-old. And so uh, so normally, so I'll, I'll give a plug to software that I can't use because it, I don't know. It, so you just told me a second ago that you, use, you do a hundred of these a year. So you've probably used Riverside before. And for whatever reason, Riverside does not work well with crisp which is my my favorite plugin of all time it's an ai noise reduction plugin so if we were talking on zoom you wouldn't be hearing all of that it it doesn't work but when we get to post most of that gets removed so i apologize no worries <laughs> go get that kid and put her yeah. in the box <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> so so yeah so like i said we're going to talk about you know kind of just dealing with clients you know one thing i always say is i haven't applied for a job in over 20 years but i go on job interviews you know dozens of times a year when i'm dealing with clients so i've gotten really good at fleshing people out looking for relationships that are going to be good and they're going to work um i assume you're in a similar boat to that so when you mean you've gone on job interviews what do you mean you mean interviewing so other like, people or no so when i you know when we're you know, pitching a client, I consider that a job interview in a way. Like, you know, I'm, I, I show up, I do my prep, I research the company and I, you know, I get, I get ready to apply for that job or the, that uh, client in this case. So I'm really good. I've gotten really good at that. And, you know, in addition to being really good at, you know, saying how good our firm is, um, you know, you get good at knowing who's not going to work. Um, that's, I think that's, that's something that was harder to do when we were starting out and, and money was a little bit tighter. You know, you you'd make you'd make things work, and you you convince yourself that it was going to be a good relationship, and it, it, usually it wasn't when you when you kind of got those warning signs. And so uh, that's been that's been valuable for me as as I've grown over the years. You know, doing it so much, just that confidence and knowing that you know not every you know there's thousands and millions of firms and thousands and millions of companies and you don't have to work with everybody you just have to find the ones that are that are right for you yeah i think it's interesting i don't know how long you've been in business um but i i think early on especially for early entrepreneurs you're so excited to make some money and so excited to share your craft or whatever wisdom or whatever it is you do with the world that you just sort of bend over backwards you know arguably so in order to get your business launched and going and and, and i i don't know that I don't know if that's necessarily a wrong thing to do. I don't want to say that, you know, this is something you should completely avoid. I think I'm hoping for this conversation that we can sort of reframe how you navigate those client relationships early on so that you can avoid some of the pitfalls and the misery that hiring bad clients will lead to ultimately. So, um, and, it and it really starts with you and, and your business and really having some clarity around who you are and the value that you add to the world so that you're clear on the type of people that you want to connect with and help them. Because again, I mean, just think of yourself in a, a personal relationship. 
don't know if you're married or, you know, if you have friends, I'm sure you have all those of the above, but <laughs> you, you don't hang out with people that bring you bad energy. You don't marry or partner romantic with people that give you bad energy because that's just going to bring you down. So, you know, you're, there's, what's there, what's, there, what's the saying, you, you know, a byproduct of the six people you hang out with most often. Oh, well, I've well, never heard that, but that's, that's great. And you're right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, you become a, there's a saying and I, I'm kind of butchering it, but you're, you become a byproduct of the six people that you often most surround yourself with. It's, it's just a fact of life. You take on their energy, you take on some of their, their quirks and their personalities, like, and you all just sort of intermingle and commingle. And so that's no different with your clients that you hire the type of people, at least in the business that I'm in, where I'm working very intimately with clients on a one-on-one capacity, helping them grow their business. It's, it's been fundamental for me in reshaping the, my narrative so that I'm actually hiring somebody that I can really help and metaphorically get into bed with and grow the, help them grow their business. Because if we have bad energy together, just like, it's just a recipe for disaster. It is. It is. And you know, one of my notes I took sort of as I was prepping for this is got to work with people you like, you know, you, again, there's, there's millions of clients walk away. You know, you get that, you get that vibe. Now I've had clients that are, they expect too much. They, they, they don't respect your, your time. You know, they they'll contact you at off hours when it's unimportant. They, that unrealistic expectations and you know, that it's, it's toxic. It, you know, it eats away at you and it affects the clients that are treating you well too, which is the other thing to remember is that you've got other people that, that are part of your company or part of your life. And you don't want this, these few bad apples to affect the rest. Well, you're doing your client a, a favor as well. I mean, you don't need to come out and say it, but you're doing them a favor by making sure that you're selectively matchmaking with the right type of people. Because, you know, if your values don't line up and it's really important to understand your business's core values, because you want to try to find people that also are in alignment with those, some of those values. Like if integrity is big to you, but your client doesn't give shit about it, you probably don't want to work with somebody who doesn't have values of integrity if that's like one of your primary core values. So it's really important about creating this. I think first and foremost, it's it's really important that you understand your core values as a business owner and what do you stand for and and what are your sort of like, where do you draw the line in the sand, if you will, on some things? And then once you have your core understanding, it's really important that you do some exercises around understanding what your client profile looks like. And what are their factors and what are their business needs and what's their communication style and, and, and how do you, how do you align with that space so that you're all sort of moving in the proper direction? Because otherwise, again, you're doing them a disservice if you take them on as a client, but you're completely polar opposites on every end of the spectrum and how you align with not only running your business, but your personal values, your ethos, your credos, all the things that make you who you are. And if you guys are going in disparate di- uh, directions, it's just, you're, you're not going to be able to help them grow their business because they're going to get annoyed with you as well, just like you might with they. Oh, absolutely. So I've, I've been, you know, this firm I started with my wife 20 years and a couple months ago. Prior to that, I had my one post-college job for three years and it was an up or out type of job. It wasn't corporate, but it w- sort of had a corporate structure. It was, it was smaller than that. And I was so amazed watching great people not fit and then go on to do amazing things. So again, they didn't fit. That company had very, they've, they've softened over the years, but they had very specific and in a lot of cases, unreasonable expectations. And it didn't mean you weren't good. And it didn't mean that they weren't good either. It just meant that there wasn't that, that meshing, like it just, you know, they didn't fit. And so some people excelled like crazy there. And, um, a lot of people, again, it was an up or out would go on and do amazing things elsewhere. So you just have to, you know, dig deep and realize it's not, it's not you. It's, you know, it's, it's just, it wasn't a good fit. It's like the old middle school breakup. It's not you, it's me. It's just. Right. Exactly. (laughs) Uh, But it's true. And, and so you're right. You're doing them a favor. You're doing yourself a huge favor too. And, um, you know, I've gotten better over the years at spotting it in advance. You know, it's at the beginning, it would take a while. I've actually moved to, I know a lot of, I don't know how you work, you know, your pricing structure, but I, I try not to take big, you know, upfront payments, you know, usually the half of, half of on, you know, start half upon completion. I've, I've moved away from that. We moved to a subscription model just, you know, for a number of reasons. One is it, it builds long-term relationships, which is part of my, you know, brand value, uh, and what I want, but also it's much easier to get out. 
you know, like, you know, no harm, no foul. You just, you know, didn't work out where, you know, you either paid me nothing yet so far, or you paid me a couple hundred dollars and I can walk away versus if you're, if you're kind of entrenched, you've gotten this, this big payment. I don't want to be beholden to that, um, and make incorrect decisions because of it. So yeah, it wasn't the main reason I did it, but it also is a nice added value to it. To, yeah. Uh, I'm curious, and was, how, how does that work? I'm curious on that, the subscription model, how does that work exactly? So, you know, I don't know what, it depends on how complex a website is, but instead of charging five or $10,000, there's a small upfront fee of a few hundred and then the even smaller couple hundred dollar fee per month, which covers their hosting, their, the management sort of WordPress management. We do everything in WordPress and also, you know, depending on which package they're in updates to, you know, for their content. And then there are, you know, certainly add-ons if they're on a major SEO campaign, it's more than that. But again, it allows for that. It allows for that long-term relationship, which, I, which is something that I really want. And for them, you know, this is, you know, sort of their part of picking us as a firm, they're less afraid to call because of what I've found is there was that fear of people in, in web, this, this thing that nobody understands, except for you're in the industry, everyone's sort of nervous about it. Uh, if you don't know anything about it. And if I call Jim, is it going to cost me $300? So now they can call and ask questions that are ridiculous or make a lot of sense and they don't have to worry about it. So interesting. it also helps with that as well. Interesting. Well, I mean, what again? There is no, there is no secret sauce per se. Every business operates differently, and so it, it's your job as a business owner, right, to come up with programs like this subscription model that you feel enables you to connect with your audience on a deeper level for longevity, for relationships, et cetera. And and every every business is different. You, you reference the corporate situation. Um, I worked in the corporate world for many years as well, and I and I always remember um, once I was sort of in bed with the company for a few years, the the sort of circulating, never-ending cycle of new hires and trying to find the right people for the right positions. And I, I, I often, and I had conversations many times because I knew the human resources director. I had many conversations with her because some of the people that they were hiring were working for me in, in, my, in my division. And it didn't seem like there was any rhyme or reason to how they went about hiring people. It was just sort of like, what do they look like on paper? And you know, just get just let's just get them in as quickly as possible. And I, I would often ask her, why why don't you guys create profiles around this job so that when you're interviewing these people, you have some biometrics on this is what it's gonna take to succeed in this position. And these are the type of qualities that we're looking for, as opposed to just here we're looking for a flat resume of qualifications. I I, I would I would want to see more of some of the biometrics around like what does this persona feel like in this position? Because then you'd be able to start targeting the right type of employees that you would hire that would be better fit for that specific position as opposed to just like, we're just going to hire everybody and just try to make them fit. And, and that that does work. Like you, you touched on, there are people that have been hired for positions that, you know, they'll succeed anywhere. There's, you know, there are people that can, you can throw them in the water and they'll learn how to swim. But it, I, I would argue that if you can find a way to optimize that hiring process from the get-go and find people and target people that are more inclined to to fit into a very specific role, as opposed to just trying to make a round hole fit into a square peg type of thing, you'll probably have much greater success. It's sort of similar to like the education system. Sorry, I'm going down a rabbit hole, but like yeah. <laughs> not, not every kid learns the same way, right? I, I always True. never understood this. I never understood public education. And I come and I don't know how, how old you are, but you know, I come from the days when education was not as crazy as it is now in terms of like completely doctrinated. I never understood why they expected everyone to take the exact same curriculum and have the exact same standards, take the exact same standardized tests and have the exact same type of output. Like not everybody learns the same way. Not everybody has the same type of interest. So wouldn't it make more sense to sort of try to find different types of curriculum and different types of career paths for kids at an early age so that you could optimize their interests and their explorations and their and their talents as opposed to saying, you got to do it just like everybody else. Like, this is the way we're going to do it. And everyone has to be trained and educated the same way. And it never made any sense to me. So sorry no, about the rabbit it's hole. It's true. Yeah, I don't, I don't know where your take on vouchers is, but I love the concept of schools being allowed to, you know, more magnet schools, more, you know, STEM schools, more art schools, more, you know, if the money follows the kid, you know, right now it's harder because- you you either have to pay for that or you have to get lucky to get in the lottery. But if if there were more of those 
you know, our current schools would get better and we'd have more choices and it would be, it'd be excellent for kids. You know, you might have to do a little bit of driving and I don't think the buses are going to go all over the place, but you do it for your kid, right? I mean, I, I drive them anywhere and we do it for sports. Why wouldn't we do it for, why would we do it for school? Well, you don't even have to have a magnet program. You, the public school system in of itself just needs to be completely reprogrammed and broken down and reassembled because what they're doing now, um, speaking of, I'm sorry, we're going down. The, uh, this is my new shirt. I stand for critical thinkers is my new nice. shirt on my t-shirt line. But uh, we're, yeah. The education system is not designed to create critical thinkers. It's designed to create automatons who from day one are sat into a row, a single file row. They're put blinders on. They're not allowed to talk to the left. They're not allowed to talk to the right. They have to stare front and center at one teacher and learn a standard curriculum that not everybody can learn from that's boring as shit. That doesn't really teach them real world tactics, any sort of emotional intelligence, critical thinking. It's thrown out the door, like even art now and and whatnot has been thrown out of the curriculum. So, you know, this is not a conspiracy. Like I, I truly believe that education in of itself is designed to not create critical thinkers, not create people who are entrepreneurs. It's designed to teach people and train people to be robotic machines that go through school, sitting in their rows, graduate, go to college, sit in their rows graduate, go to the cubicle, sit in their rows and just sort of pay homage to the oh, this idea of like producing for the corporation the rest of their life. So sorry, that's another rabbit hole. No, it's, it's true. Keep me and on target, Jim. No, I, I, I'm going to go back. I'm going to, I'm going to tie this all in. I got it. I got it. It's perfect. So right. you mentioned before about hiring, right? And so there, I don't know if you've ever heard of the book, Recruit Rockstars. It's a little kitschy. Uh -huh. Yeah, I know what it is. You, have yeah. you read it? Okay. Yeah. You get his newsletter? He's no, he's, I'm going to forget the name of the author right now, but I'm a big fan. His newsletters are fun. He pulls in like, you know, current event topics and, you know, it always ties back to recruiting, obviously, because that's kind of his thing. But one of his core principles is, well, two of his, you know, the two that sort of apply here is education doesn't necessarily line up with job success. So that ties into your, your education part. And more importantly, what does is DNA. So not necessarily have you done the job before? Sometimes it's actually worse. But how do you fit? You know, what, you know, do you fit with the culture of this company? And I love, I mean, I've read the book a couple of times. I sort of refresh it every time we go to hire because, you know, he's, he's smart. I like how, I like how he thinks. And that's the same thing with hiring a client, right? Or, or when a customer comes to your restaurant, like if a customer comes to your restaurant and you, you're trying to, you know, your marketing is saying fine dining and you're serving greasy burgers, well, you've, you've done it wrong, right? Who do you want to come? What, Tell them what you're going to give them, set those expectations. And if you don't, well, then that's kind of on you. And then if you, if you're looking for that DNA and that fit and you market it well and you hire for it well, or you recruit for it well, then all of a sudden that's when the magic happens because you've got this, everybody's happy. You're, you know, you're loving your meal. You're, you've hired the best possible employee. You've, you, you've been working with this client for 10 years because you guys, you know, it's great to work with them. It's maybe even, you know, you talk to them about personal stuff too, because you, you just like them as a person. Yeah. Well, that's a great point. And, and, and attracting the right client, it starts with, I think a lot of people look at it from a reverse perspective and I don't know that I'm right on this, but it seems to work for me. Instead of trying to make your product fit your client's niche, I suggest to everyone I work with is let's reframe that and let's be very, very crystal clear on what we offer. Right. What do we what do we create? What value do we offer? What problems do we solve? And 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 once you have some clarity around that, all of your brand messaging, all of your marketing needs to center around what do we do really really freaking well and why are we passionate about it and what's our north star around it? Because what that does when you start sharing that message whether it's through social media or on your website or showing up on a podcast like this, the people that hear that message they're sort of observationally biased to be inclined with that message already because that's what they're looking for. So it's sort of like, it's sort of like you never see a Toyota, a red Toyota, uh, Toyota forerunner until someone says, Hey, I just bought a new Toyota, red to Toyota forerunner. <laughs> and the next day you drive to work and all you see is red Toyota forerunner. So it's like, that's how human science works. Like the psychology of it is when you start to hear the messages that you're familiar with, the things that resonate with you, you start to see that. And whether you're on social media or website, when you're talking about the things that you love doing, then that's going to connect with the right type of audience. Does that make sense? 
And so Absolutely. instead of trying to make your situation fit for them, it's really important to make sure that you're very clear on what you do and what you do well. Oh, absolutely. Um, Jeff Hyman, by the way, was the author of that book. Jeff Hyman. So you got, okay, good. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I love him. I think he's, I think he's great. Even though I forgot his name. We'll, we'll link to him in the show notes because he's, he does a good, and you should subscribe to his newsletter. Not necessarily, I am not currently hiring and most of the time I've been getting a newsletter, I am not hiring, but he, um, he, I get some of my news from him, like sort of celebrity news and like fun little tidbits that are out in the world that he, you know, puts in a good dad pun and, uh, and somehow ties it into to hiring, and it's it's kind of cool. So well, well, he talks about some of my core takeaways from that book. If if I may continue with that, um, that really resonated with me is he very specifically talks about your hiring process as a sales and marketing tool rather than a human resource function, which is exactly right. what I was just saying. It's like, and I used to have that conversation with my HR director. I'm like, why do you not look at this from a, a position of reframing this job description description so that it appeals to the right audience as opposed to trying to find the right audience and making them fit into that. And so, and, in, and, and the, the whole idea around of like interviewing people just to f- find really highly talented people to fit a role, that's not also necessarily the best, attri- best way of going about that because sometimes the most talented people are going to have the highest attrition. And if you're looking for someone who's going to sit there and, and work in a capacity that you want them long-term, you probably don't want to hire the most talented person for that position. So, Again, different conversation, but um, some of the stuff that he talked about is very relevant to what we're talking about right now. I agree. Yeah, no, he's he's good. I hope you write something else because I don't know. Usually, it's funny because he, he only has the one, but usually when someone writes that book, then they rewrite it thirty times. But I'd, I'd be interested, like a more modern take on it. I think it's a couple years old. Maybe it's time for you to write that book. Yeah, maybe. Oh, we'll see. Okay, so one thing I've found through some mistakes is that we get the better clients when they find us. And I don't know if you've had this same experience. So we've done, you know, over been doing it for 20 years. We've we've done it all to try to get clients. But when we've done, I don't want to say cold calls, but when we have picked a niche, made a call, sent an email, followed up, when we get that client, we've now had to convince them two things. So they need they need marketing. We've had to convince them about that and then, hey, pick us. Versus Somebody has decided they need marketing, they need a website, they need, you know, whatever services we offer, and then we get ourselves out there for them to find us. And I feel like something about that two jump process, at least for us, doesn't doesn't work. And it's not that I'm never gonna try that again, but anytime I've tried it, I'm usually disappointed. And I that person usually expects more, maybe because I've come to them first. So maybe, you know, now they have the upper hand. I don't I don't really know the logistics behind why it hasn't worked. But it hasn't for me. So I don't know if you've seen ever had experiences like that as well. Yeah, I, I think. Well, that now we're diving into some marketing and branding, uh, which is you know what I love most. I think that I think there's a way to optimize both sides of that coin, if you will. So if you're messaging again, obviously the win-win scenario is we want people to come to us, right? Like that's the right. whole point of marketing is 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 being able to share your message to the right audience. And we have never before in the history of business had more opportunities at our fingertips from social media to website, to search engine optimization, to paid advertising, all those things. So if you can set up your foundation properly so that people are finding you and then use the tools in the digital marketing realm to make sure that that message is being broadcasted out to the right audience, you you will not only be able to ping the right type of people through your through your proactive marketing, and it goes back to that beacon. It's like you put out the bat signal, the right people are going to see it. And then those right. are the people that you're actively targeting. They're the ones that are going to resonate with that message and then come to your site and reach out to you. So I would say from my perspective, you can't just you can't just build it and they will come anymore because there's so many people you're competing with. Like literally, I mean, dude, how many times do you just go open up your phone and you find a product and you'll find like an hour later, you just scroll through 600 different feeds. And you stopped at like four or five of those in that hour time frame. It was like, ah, oh, yeah, like something caught your eye, some message, some color, some photo, some video, right. right? And and so everyone is doing the exact same thing, all 8 billion people on the planet. And so it's not enough to just put your message out there. That's the first piece. But I think from my perspective, the second piece is being very, very clear on targeting the type of people that you want to connect with through your proactive efforts as well but making sure that your messaging is still standardized so that when you do target them, they do come back and, and want to spend some time with 
that make sense what I'm saying? It, it does. And yeah, I think so. I think that the sort of difference for me is not that we're not like, so the advertising piece of what we do, getting our name out there with SEO, getting our name out there with you know digital ads, getting our name out there with, in some cases with print ads, doing this podcast, that's getting our name out there. So the idea is they see us, they see you, they want marketing, they want web design. They're like, ah, oh, I think I want to work with Jim. I think I want to work with Devo. So it's it was the the piece that didn't work for me. And you know, I'm, I'm thinking about it all the time. And maybe it's about figuring out if the person is already kind of sold on marketing. Maybe our mistake was we were selling we were selling too low in the in that person's process in their brand. I don't want to convince them that they need our service. I want to convince them that we are the best at it. And I think that that was the piece that was like the real crux for me because once I had to convince them like, hey, your social media would be better if you use us. Your photography would be better if you used us. But they didn't even know they wanted that. Then all of a sudden we weren't, you know, our expectations weren't matching what their expectations were. Our expectations were to treat them like our our clients. Their expectations were we were going to save their business. And that's a bad place to start. And so it just never worked well. But again, I mean, you know, it's not like I did it th- tens of thousands of times. It's, you know, was a dozen times, but it, it always seemed to not be, you know, again, the relationships didn't work in those cases. So I sort of backed out. Well, I think, yeah, I, I don't disagree with anything you just said. I, again, I, I don't want to sound like a, I'm beating a dead horse, but for for me, where I found sort of my eureka moment was when I realized that instead of chasing people and trying to get them to fit into my paradigm, I had to clean up my paradigm first and be crystal clear on what it is that I wanted to offer. Right. And then once I started to learn how to broadcast that message properly, the right people started finding it because I was proactive in targeting them. But then when you're hiring those people, you, you know, I think sometimes we get overexcited to just hire somebody because it's a big price tag or, you know, you just made a big sale or whatever it is, but you didn't take the time to set really clear expectations up front in that relationship on you know, the value that they were looking for and how do you match that so that we're the value alignment, right? Making sure that those value alignments are, are, are very crystallized. And then and then having sort of the wherewithal, because it's weird. We talked about this when we first met. You sort of have this little devil and angel sitting on your shoulder, right? In every situation. Like, it's true. I know it's a funny metaphor, but it really is true. <laughs> and if you listen to yourself, it, it really kind of is accurate most of the freaking time. And I can, I can remember many times early in my business where we would, we would hire somebody and, you know, it was a big contract. And I was like, I remember going home and talking to my partner at the time. And I was like, you just don't really feel like I'm going to be able to help this person. Right. And you, you sort of could, you sort of saw the red flags early on in the process. And instead of listening to yourself, whether it was unrealistic demands or poor communication standards or mismatch in values, I don't want to keep talking about that. But really, you can't underestimate the importance of trusting your instincts and the long-term benefits of being able to say no when you realize early on that that's not going to be a good fit. Because as we shared stories, you know, I didn't listen to myself. I was like, okay, like this is a multiple six-figure contract. I'm going to take it. Like we're just going to make it work. Like I was like, I'm just going to learn how to swim model instead of like, I don't really feel like this is going to be the right person. And it was really clear early on, as soon as the honeymoon was over, that this was going to be a nightmare for us from overextending my team to taking phone calls when I was on vacation to text messages in the middle of the night to just like all sorts of stuff. And, and it, it wasn't a disparaging, I'm not disparaging the client. Like they were who they are. Like they're very successful at what they do and their people love them. But those values that they, that they sort of, sort of was, was the, uh, the body of their ethos. They weren't in alignment with mine. And, and, and by hiring them and not listening to myself, I just set myself up for disaster. And it wasn't like we didn't do a good job with the client because we kicked, kicked ass with it. It was just like, instead of being able to cruise together on this project, we were like literally digging trenches and covering asses and recycling and relooping and all these sorts of things because it was just, it was just never enough. Like no matter what we did, it was never enough. And I knew that early on that that's how it was going to be. And instead of trusting my gut, I just was like, okay. I'm t- I'm bending over, taking one for the team, right? <laughs> yeah, it's funny. So you mentioned so that was a, a, a higher paying client, but that I see that I see that most often in in your lower paying client. There's a, a I, I've heard you heard it a million times, but 
the clients that pay you the least expect the most. And I think that, you know, it doesn't mean that bigger clients don't expect the most too and have unrealistic expectations, but it's very common that your drain is on a client that's very unprofitable or, or barely profitable. And I, one of the things I look for is, are they looking for me to be a miracle worker to save a business or are they looking for me to help grow a business that's, you know, not that we're business coaches, but in a way, if you're doing this right as a marketing firm, you're a little bit of a business coach. You, you should be asking questions about where's your money coming from? Are, you know, you just asked me, you know, we had a client years ago that was a physical therapy company and most of the work we did for him was launching like new little niche services and we never marketed physical therapy. It was always MS physical therapy or I can't remember what the other ones were, but they are um, for Parkinson's disease and all these little niche ones to kind of grow, not his business. And we never helped him grow his business. And so, you know, that was me, you know, maybe being a little green and not putting my foot down, but you can't let that creep happen. And, and, you know, again, like I said, we're not business coaches, but we should ask those questions. Like why, why are we doing this other thing when you make 95% of your money from physical therapy? Shouldn't we be trying to grow that or at least keep that consistent, at least keep that brand message out there. So it's, you know, there's that, that's why the, again, work with people you like. So you can ask those questions and so that you're, and you know, as you get, if you, as you do it more, you'll have those confidence to ask those questions and to kind of push back a little bit. Clients, not always right. Obviously, sometimes you just have to do what they say, but you should at least say, I'll do this, but just want you to know, I think we should be spending resources over here. You, you know, if the goal is to help your company grow, this is what, this is what, you know, in my expertise, you should be doing. No, the client is not always right at all. Yeah. <laughs> um, the, the key to that paradox is finding clients to work with that understand it's a team collaboration and that we're both all of us are in this together and your success is my success and vice versa. And they understand that. And that's not to say that you need to be obstinate and stubborn and be, this is my way. Cause I'm not saying that I'm not saying, no, this is my way. Uh, I'm an expert. It's going to be this way. And this is how we're going to do it. It's saying, okay, you hired us because we're the experts at what we do. We're going to stay in our lane so that you can stay in your lane and grow your business and do the things that you do best. And so, and then, and, and when you both have a mutual understanding of that, which happens at the outset of this, of this relationship, you're setting yourself up for success because when you do hit road bumps or you do have hiccups or you do have disagreements, if you will, because it's human nature, you're more inclined to have a discussion about it, to strategize about it, to have a collaborative input from both sides to say, okay, here's where we are in this disagreement. How do we find the way through this more, cl more cleanly and succinctly together as opposed to be like, no, I'm right. You're wrong. You're wrong. I'm right. Type of thing. So, right. yeah, that that <laughs> whole um, that's a it's a very interesting it's a very interesting sort of navigation that happens w when that happens. But as, to your point, if 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 you can find the right type of people to connect with and hire, and you are hiring, make no mistake about it, you're hiring just like they are, hiring the right clients. Anytime you have those disagreements or those or those whatever they are bump ups against, you know impediments in the, in the process, you're able to kind of navigate through them. Um, to your point about that high maintenance, low profit client paradox, I don't always see it in the, in the lower paying clients. I sort of see it really in just the value metrics of, of people in, in general, because um, I've, I have, I have lower paying clients that are just simply fantastic to work with. Oh, for sure. No, I'm not saying that they're all bad, but, but yes. Yeah. You're yeah. right. Yeah. So, but I will say many years ago, I'm not going to say how many I used to wait tables. I don't know how many of the, if, have you ever waited tables before? I did a lot. <laughs> so it was everybody, very- Everybody should do that, by the way. Like if you want to understand people and, and be kind, you got to do it for a year of your life. Something in in the service industry. You know, it doesn't have to be waiting tables, but you have to do that to, to understand society, I think. Yeah, Carl Jung never made this reference, but I would like to do a, a, an addition to his books and his psychology around- Everyone should wait tables to deal with their egos and their shadows because that is the best way to, to, to learn humility, right? Like knowing right. that you're doing this. But um, I can remember working in the in the in the service industry and how many times you would just bust your ass all day long for this table and they would leave like a dollar and it's like, right. dude, <laughs> what in the hell do you think you're here? Like that? I'm not your slave, but you, you know what? You just it is what it is. But I, that whole idea of the high maintenance, low profit client paradox. 
is never, never more uh, apparent than in the, in the service industry, is it? So it's just like restaurants specifically, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So we've talked a ton about hiring the right client. How do we fire the wrong client? And, and one thing I will say is, and I say this, I don't usually say it about business, but I say it about life, you know, when, when, a, when a friendship ends, it doesn't mean it wasn't good before. It's not linear, you know, so you have to remember that. So when it's time to say goodbye, I mean, sometimes it's bad from the beginning and you probably should have gotten rid of that client or that person in your life quicker. But I think the first thing to remember is if it's, you know, a regular at your restaurant that no longer likes the fact that you're charging more because you're now serving craft beer instead of only Bud Light, or if it's a client you've been working with since you started your company, but they haven't grown the way you have, or they don't like your new pricing model or whatever it is. It doesn't mean that they're not good. It doesn't mean that you didn't have a great relationship with them before. And you have to, you know, kind of put on your big boy pants and say, you know, and do what, you know, you know, break up the right way. You know, don't do it via text, basically, you know, have a conversation, be, be kind, you know, acknowledge the, the good relationship and, and then tell them why you need to move on. Yeah. Send them a text message, like we said earlier, and just say, it's <laughs> not you, it's me. It's like, right. you're, you're, the, you're great. It's just, this is me. No, I think, you know, I, I'll tell a story. I was in a relationship with someone for five years and um, we were engaged to be married and I thought she was, I, I thought she was my forever person. Um, and it turned out that she wasn't. And I, I, I knew that towards the last year and a half so of the relationship, I knew that this was not going to go the direction. And it wasn't that I was right and she was wrong. It's just that we had different values on what the end game looked like. And she was she was going in a, a direction of her own and I was going in a direction of my own. And and we recognized that pretty early in, uh, sorry, we recognized that, you know, in the last roughly two years of our relationship, we started to see these patterns. And we had conversations about it. And, and both of us sort of knew where it was. I think we both subconsciously knew where it was ultimately going, but we were, we weren't, we didn't listen to our angels on our shoulders. Like we didn't listen to our voice because we're like, we're just going to make this work. Like we're going to do counseling, whatever it is, we're just going to make it work. And sometimes that's helpful. Like, you know, sometimes counseling is helpful and you can find a way through that, navigate through it. But if your value systems are so diametrically opposed there's no amount of counseling on the planet that's going to be able to help you line those up. If if you don't believe in the same types of things and you both don't have the same long-term objectives, and there's no way that any counseling is going to help that. And so similar to a, a working relationship, if you get to the point where you're starting to see the writing on the wall and the patterns are starting to elicit themselves, and I, and I, don't, I hate the word firing, but you know it is what it is. I, I think you have to have a come to Jesus moment with them in a collaborative capacity and have a conversation with them and and just lay it out. Like, just be honest and transparent. Like, here's where we stand right now. And there's no reason you have to be a dick about it. Just like, let's just have a meeting. Like, how do you feel this is going from your perspective? And and they're going to share their insights. And, and you have to be candid and forthright and show your insights. Like, this is where I see us going. And I don't honestly think that our communication is aligned. I don't think our communication channels are lined up. I don't think our values are lined up. I don't think that we, I think we are diametrically opposed on too many things that no matter any type of therapeutic intervention is going to help us. And I think that's really all there is to it. I don't think you need to overcomplicate it. And I'd like to jump back in the early in the process. It's really, 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 really crystally important that you have contracts that are outlining the expectations of what this looks like. Like don't mess around, man, get a contract in writing. It's like, What's it called when you get made the prenup? Like have a freaking prenup. This is what the relationship is going to do. This is the services that we're going to offer in exchange for, for whatever it is that we're going to do for you. This is what it looks like. And have that, have an attorney look it over. Don't play around. Like be, cause I've made that mistake earlier in my career. Like I can't tell you how important it is to have it in writing, a statement of work that outlines the expectations from not just like the tactical things that you're going to do, but sort of like. I actually include my values in my contracts with my clients. Like this is what this is what we're now bringing to the table, and this is what we expect in this collaboration: open and clear communication, honesty, transparency. We're going to have weekly meetings to talk about what works and what doesn't work, and we're going to work at this together to build an empire for you, or we're not. And so, fast forwarding, if you have that contract, it's really clear to sort of look down and say, Jim, you know, you're expecting this of us. 
we're not capable of providing that for you or, or, or we, we prefer to operate this way and you're refusing to budge on whatever it is, like your differences, like have an open, mature adult conversation about it. We don't need to sling mud at each other and just agree to part ways. And that's all there is to it. And if you have the contract stabilized, then, you know, that, that divorce is rather easy. Right. Oh, absolutely. Have you ever had a client? So this has happened to me. I don't know. know, Let's say three, four times where not that you get ghosted, but the, the client clearly, you know, they've they've reached out, they want to work with you, but they never really made the time to to do marketing or to grow their business. And so it becomes, you know, so for the first couple of months, you're kind of reaching out, like, hey, what do you what do you think of the first draft? What do you think of the of the comp? What do you think of this idea? Whatever it is. And you get maybe trickles back. Um, and then eventually you just have to stop following up because you're not they they haven't made the time for you. You know, they've they've hired you in a and in, in the old days, they had paid me half of the budget, right? But they never made it. They've never made made us important as part of the process. They were they cut, sort of were getting in their own way. I don't know if that, that ever happened to you, but I always found that interesting. You know, and then you know, there's a point where you just you know you just don't talk to them anymore. No, I've I've not been ghosted. Um, I I, I have had. Well, I have to say I've been relatively blessed in the types of clients that I've had for most of my career, um, especially in, in my new business, Fusion Creative. I did have early on in my Fusion photography business where I was just doing traditional photography, I did have some some snafus that didn't necessarily turn out the way I had envisioned them. But I've never had anybody ghost me, but but I have had poor communication. And and for me, communication is everything, like just everything. Go figure. I like to talk. But you know, it's 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 everything for me in my relationships, my friendships, my children. Like I'm very transparent about how I parent, um, and I t- I carry that same ethos into my business and professional relationships because if you can't communicate effectively with each other, then how are you going to solve problems when it requires communication, right? And so, um, I'm I'm very I'm a very big fan on having established meeting schedules with your clients, established check ins. Um, I actually ask them to give us sort of like a feedback at the end of each quarter. Where are we excelling? Where could, where are there gaps? Where could we do better? And I ask them candidly in a conversation, like, I need you to fill this out and tell me exactly what are we doing wrong. So it's really important that you're almost you're always in a perpetual state of learning because, you know, how do you get better if you don't learn? And if you just right. if you think you have the answers, like what's the point? So um I I encourage everyone that if you do have these divorces with your clients, that you had a role in it, even if it was just simply your values weren't aligned, but be very clear on doing sort of a self-audit, a self-check-in with yourself to see like, okay, this denigration occurred because of why. And talk to your team members if you have team members or you know, talk to your spouse or your friends, like, because certainly you're sharing these stories with your friends. Like, How could I have handled this a little bit differently and going forward, how can I improve upon that? So it's really important to have that sort of reflective state, if you will. Right. No, absolutely. And so you know, in the examples of, of these clients that sort of disappeared, it was more of a, you know, what do you think about this? Hey, Jim, I'm really busy this week. I'll get back to you next week. And I feel like it's an example from the other side, which is if you, you know, if you hire someone to work in your company, if you hire a firm to, to, to market for your company, if you hire anybody to do something for you, and then you don't provide them the resources to do their job. So imagine, you know, hiring some, you know, they come in, they're, they sit at the desk and you're like, okay, well, just sit here and we'll get back to you in two days. You know, right now, you know, just look through this handbook. That's that really good onboarding. And so, you know, be ready to to do that hiring, you know, on the other side, you know, we're, we're ready to do the work. But if you've made the commitment and you said, listen, this is my New Year's resolution. I'm going to get my marketing in check. I'm going to grow my business. And then you don't, you're not ready to be part of that relationship. Then, you know, why did you, you know, you wasted your money and your time, basically, you know, you've got to, you know, it's not like you can just say like, okay, marketing, go do your thing uh, and come back and, you know, I have more money. There's usually, you know, as time goes by, there's less of that, I would say. In some cases, you know, you got to, you got to learn the brand, you got to learn the people. You know, we, at the very beginning, we're like, we're talking to clients every day and then, you know, then it becomes weekly or monthly or whatever it becomes depending on the client, but, but they have to be ready. You know, they have to give that feedback. Otherwise we're doing, you know, we're doing our own marketing, you know, so we don't know. I don't know. I know how plumbers work, but I don't know how your plumbing company works. I know sure. how restaurants work. I don't know your restaurant yet, you know, so teach me, you know, that you've got to be part of that value, I think. 
Yeah, what I hear you saying is that you should be systematizing your process, especially as it as, as it surrounds your onboarding. And it does a couple of things. Not only does it give you clarity and insights onto what your client expects from you, but it also enables you to sort of understand everything that they are so that you can better support them in whatever endeavors that you're trying to support them. But more than anything else, that systemization also trains you habitually so that you're consistent in how you engage with everybody. So whether it's your communication, the style, the frequency, all the different things, if you can systematize that and standardize it, obviously you're going to be making tweaks and adjustments for for every client, but some of those core principles and some of those core processes and procedures can be standardized and systematized so that as you grow as a business, you're better equipped to scale, you're better equipped to train your 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 own employees, but more importantly, you're better equipped to service the people that you're being paid money to service and you're consistent across all that. Because I, one of the things I see in a lot of the clients I work with sometimes is there's no consistency in their output because they haven't taken the time to have clarity on their foundational principles and systematizing some of the processes and procedures that should be systematized, whether it's how they post on social media, whether it's how they respond to clients, or even just something as simple as how they greet their clients when they come in the door, answer telephones. Like There's one client we're working with right now where the front office team, it, it, there's no consistency in how they engage with their clients. When you walk in the door, you know sometimes they don't greet them, or they're busy tapping away at the computer, and the client has to sit there for a few minutes. And these are things that we observe in our in our audit. Or when you call them on the phone, it's like it's not always the same voice, it's not always the same messaging, it's not always the same type of greeting. And it, and and if you're a recurring customer and you in the space of using this service on a regular basis, like it sort of throws you off. Like, have you ever gone to a Chick Fil A? No matter what you do through the drive-through, they greet you the exact same way. Like everyone says the exact same thing. They have the same cadence, the same operational procedures, the same frequency, the same consistency. And it's like that that experience makes everything more optimized on both sides of the coin. Right. No, you're right. Yeah, you've got it. You can't marketing can't fix a business that doesn't serve its clients well. You know, so that's that's, you, that's them serving their clients. And again, that's those are the clients that I have, I've learned to spot the the desperation of some people when they come in, like whether it's they never got their business off the ground or they desperately need to grow it, you know, by you know two hundred percent over the next couple of years, and it's just about money. And once you start asking questions, and you it's clear that they don't have any passion for the business. They the reason that that marketing isn't working, you know, their current marketing isn't working, is because. You can get someone to come to a restaurant once, you know, I could do that all day long, but to get them to come back the next time, that's, that's another conversation. That's another team, you know, marketing's part of it. But if your GM sucks or, or your hostess sucks and you know, you're, that person's not coming back. So marketing looks like it's failing, but it's really, you know, it's part of it, that team. It's the relationship really. It's, it's the experience. It's, it's the story and the narrative. I can't tell you how many times I've gone into a restaurant that had exceptional, just to borrow the the metaphor, exceptional food, but the service sucked or, you know, the experience was, was not optimal or it took forever to get my food or the service was rude or whatever it is. And so for me personally, um, I, I, I'm all about the experience and, and I'd rather sacrifice some quality on the food if the experience that I in, was engaged with was phenomenal. And and it's more memorable that way. And then people buy, people don't buy your product. They buy the experience they get with your product. And so that's not to say that you should have a shitty product, that you should still be having qualitative output. But if you can spend a lot of the same energy on the quality of your product, on the experience that you give your client, you're setting yourself up for a win-win scenario across the board. Oh yeah. Oh, with food, especially my wife and I, uh, we say this all the time that you don't go because we have date night every week. And when we go out, we try all different restaurants. And we always talk about, you know, some are good and some are bad and you don't go out to eat for food. Like you go out to eat to get out of your house, you know, unless, you know, I guess maybe some people eat out every day and, you know, that they just never want to cook. But there are so many options for fast meals and quick meals and good meals. When you go to a restaurant, you're, you want to be taken care of. That's it. Like that's the goal. Like, you know, you don't, like you said, you don't want crappy food, but you, you're not going there to be fed. You're going there to be treated well. You're going there for the ambiance. You're going there for the conversation outside of the home with all the clutter. You know, you know, we, we sort of escape the kids for the night, you know, we're, that's what you're looking for. And yeah. if some people in, in that environment are 
sort of trampling on that expectation, well, then it doesn't matter how great the food is. You know, you're, you're, and that's with everything. Like it's all about, I have an expectation. Are you delivering on it? So whether it's a marketing firm or a restaurant or a plumber, you know, we, we go in with an expectation The quite has, like you said, has that been, you know, have as a brand, have you sort of broadcast, you know, what you're, what they can expect? Has that been, you know, formally introduced to them so that they know what, what to expect? And then did you deliver on it? And if you don't, then that's when there are problems. Yeah. I mean, I, I still go to restaurants for foods. I mean, I eat, good I'm not saying I don't eat when yeah. I'm there, but. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I don't go to the restaurant just to meet the servers. I, I, I think the food should be good, but I guess what I was saying, sorry to, if I misconstrued that, I think it should be a quantity, quality, qualitative relationship experience. Like you should be focusing on the experience just as much as you're focusing on the quality of your product. That's really, well, I guess, where I was going with that. Right. So, you know, like, I'm I not going to go back to a restaurant over and over if the food is just no good, right? Right. I mean, I'm, certainly it can't be bad, but I think more than anything is there's so many options now that by and large, the food is pretty good at most restaurants if they're around for a year or two, right? You know, there are exceptions to that. There are places that I wonder why they're still in business, but then- and why am I picking this one over that one? Sometimes it's location. Sometimes it's, I know a person there. Sometimes it's, I've been going there for so long. You know, it's, so I know, I've been listening to some of your podcasts. You love Seth Godin, right? Is that one of your, mm-hmm, yeah, yeah. So his be the best in the world, right? So what, mean, what yeah. means be the best restaurant in the world? Sometimes it's just that you're around the corner. Sometimes it's that you really do have the best burger in the whole world. And so when you go out, what do you, what are you expecting from that person? What are you expecting from that business? What makes them the best in the world at that exact moment? And yeah, I mean, sometimes it's, I just want a greasy burger and it doesn't have to be the best because it's easy, it's comfortable. And I, I like the servers. Sometimes it's, I want, I want to be wowed by this food. And that's what I expect at that point too. So. Yeah, I went to a, we went to a really cool new restaurant that opened up here in Charlotte last night. And it was really interesting to me. It was, um, they position themselves as a, a Spanish European style eatery, but yet they have a name that just does not match the vibe. <laughs> um, it's just interesting to me that, that they would call it what they did. And so I asked about it and the, the server didn't know why it was called that, which is interesting because if you had, because the name is unique, <laughs> okay. like if you have a unique name, you should make sure that your team knows why it's called this because the name is a very Americano, like Western type of name, but the food is like, food was amazing. But it was like these small tapas, Spanish tile food, and it was really exotic fare, and the chef was a phenomenal. But it, the, there was just no alignment on sort of like the brand of it and the messaging of it, and the servers knew nothing about it. And it just, it kind of, you know, I was just sitting there thinking, my marketing eye was thinking about how important it is. And then you go to their website, and their website is really boring and blah, doesn't really talk anything about what's going on. They, they, they market that they have live music and, and, and local Charlotte cover bands that come in and sing but there's nothing on the website about it. Then you go to their social media and there's nothing about that. And I was just thinking like, there's a lot of missed opportunities here for this business. Like so called Monica, my my business development director. And I was like, get them on the phone and get us a meeting because we can help them because that's a great opportunity for me. <laughs> but it just, it's really important that, you know, as a small business, especially a new business and here in Charlotte, I forget where you, where you hail from, but there's literally a new restaurant that opens up every freaking week here in Charlotte. Like it's a really competitive market now. And so, it's really important that if you have good food, which they had phenomenal food, that the messaging and their marketing matches up with the concept of their food and none of it does. And I was just thinking, man, they really missed the boat on this one in terms of how they're marketing themselves and how they're positioning themselves. Because, you know, for me, they're, they're like, their masterpiece is the fact they have really good food, but the decor inside is just amazing. It's this really cool vibe. It's, it's not Charlotte-esque at all. And, and yet their, their marketing and everything else they're doing is sort of like doing what everyone else does. It's like, they literally sound like every other restaurant. So my thought was, man, there's a way to position this as a really kind of unique dining experience that you're not going to find everywhere in Charlotte. And then they they've missed the boat on that. And again, it all centers around the experience that we had from the minute we walked in the door, I was like, wow, this place got the decoration, right? They got cool music going on. The lighting's not too dark. It's really dim and the tables are really cool. And the food preparation was just beautiful. But the messaging that they're telling everyone else didn't even come close to that. So it's just like, anyway, it's really important to, to have that marketing branding message really clear on that. Right. And so I don't know the name of it, but so you had the experience of the messaging didn't match 
didn't match what was delivered, but you liked what was delivered. In other people's cases, maybe it didn't match and they are unsatisfied because they expected something that was very Charlotte. I don't know what that means, but um, apparently there's there's that vibe. And so they expected something that was more like a sports bar or whatever. I don't know what the brand matches up to. And then they went in and they're like, oh, this is too fancy. I don't like it. Totally. You know, you're, my guess is this is like cool portions and a lot of like drizzles and stuff. So, I mean, my dad hates that crap. Like he, you know, he wants... I want a big, bur- you know, I want something big on my plate. I can't deal with these little pieces. So for him, it might be expectations in the other direction where it's yeah. not that the marketing was off and they had that ability to improve upon it. It's that, like he thought it was one thing and it, you know, it didn't deliver on that either. So yeah, it's, a, it's important. It's always, you know, really, I know we're talking about hiring and firing, but we're really, like you said, we're talking about your brand message. You know, if it's, you got to put it out there, you have to think about it, right? You have to, who am I? What is my restaurant? What defines us? What is, what are our colors? What are our, what's our style? What's our, what's our core mission? And then you have to be confident enough to share that. And sometimes that means turning other people off. I think that's why people don't do it. They're afraid of, if I say what I am, that I can't, not everyone will come to my restaurant, but you don't want everyone to come to your restaurant. (laughs) You want Devo to come to your restaurant because he loved it. Well, yeah, there's a lot of power in saying no. I think I think a lot of people think, and I thought I I was in that boat, that if you say no, then there's not going to be any more opportunities like this. But what the opposite is actually true, because when you're able to say no and you're confident in what it is that you offer and the value and the type of people that you want to attract in your business or your relationship or your life, and you say no to anything that doesn't fit that, it really opens the doors to more suitable opportunities. And and it's not, it's not a it's not like, oh, I, that, that window is closed and I'm never going to be able to find a, two, a, a multiple six-figure client again. I closed the door on that one. And what happened is it freed up my team. It freed up my resources. It freed up my bandwidth. It freed up my emotional, like just my emotional wherewithal. And I was able, I was better able to serve the type of people that I did want to serve in so doing, as opposed to like, oh, I'm never going to find another client again. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. And it takes, yeah. as you grow, I mean, as you you know, where I was in my early twenties versus where I am now in my mid forties, like I'm a different person. <laughs> like, you know, there's less of that imposter syndrome. It still creeps in, but I have the confidence to say, no, I have the confidence to speak up. I have the confidence to push back and I have the confidence to listen. Sometimes I listen, there are clients that told me things that I thought were ridiculous. And I said, okay, we'll try it. And I was wrong. And so sometimes you have the confidence to do that too. And then you, you know, go to the next client and say, Hey, let's try this thing. It's really cool. Um, yeah. I got this idea from somebody else. So, you know, that's, I think that's what comes with age. I don't know if anyone in their early twenties can do that. Maybe at least not me. Um, it took some time to get there, but, uh, I'm glad I did. It's funny. It's funny how it's all a process, but again, that, that process itself centers around iterative learning. So you make some mistakes, you have failures. It's an opportunity for you to figure out what went wrong and how could you improve upon that and grow from it. So, um, there's, there's no reason that if you've made some of the mistakes that we're talking about right now, that it's the end game for you. Like, be self-aware and understand how could you have handled that situation better and then grow from. That's right. That's right. Well, that was like the perfect summary. Okay. So we, I'm not surprised by this. We talked for almost an hour. I kind of knew from our previous conversation that we would, this was awesome. Um, I think we covered most of this topic and a bunch of other ones too. So Diva, where can people find you? They want to work with you. You've got the Unlearn Everything podcast, which is recently rebranded to that. What are all, you know, throw out a couple handles. I'll put them all in the show notes too, but where, where is the best place for people to find you if they want to work with you, talk to you, you know, just sort of connect. I have, I do monthly workshops. They're interactive workshops where it's, it's interactive learning. So it's not me a talking head, just telling you all these sorts of things. Um, we have group breakout sessions and whatnot. You can find that on my website. It's a branding and marketing blueprint workshop. So that's coming up. Uh, the website is fusioncreativebranding.com. And you can find me on Instagram at Fusion Photog, short for photography, Fusion Photog. Same as LinkedIn as well. Yeah. Okay, great. And the podcast is Unlearn Everything. It's about everything. <laughs> it's Unlearn Everything. <laughs> it's about, yeah, you know, I've so, listened to a couple of episodes. It's it's um, it's it's different than this one, but it's it's great. You go, obviously, very in-depth down a lot of rabbit holes, like you, you've said. So, um, yeah. it's great. I'm of the being, thank you for letting me talk about that. I'm of the, uh, of the feelings that most everything that we have been taught and I'm in my forties and it's amazing to me once you sort of set off consciously to go down the rabbit hole of discovery of learning, 
um, you find out that most everything that you have been taught your entire life is is incorrect. It's a lie for for, for the most part, from history to economics to everything. And so the podcast brings on really amazing guests who are experts in their field, who have taken the time to operate and provide a different sort of paradigm on how to do everything. And so we, we have conversations, as you said, around rabbit holes of that and, and unlearn uh, all the, all the narratives that we've been taught. Awesome. Well, again, thank you so much. I hope to have you back on again this conversation going. I know we're connected on LinkedIn, LinkedIn and we'll probably talk there. And yeah, it's it, it's just good to talk to other people in, in the in the space. So yeah, um, I hope so. That'd be great. I would love to. And you're going to come on our show, I think, right? Yes. I'm going to come on, on your show. I'm going to talk about uh, guilt. I've got a, that's by one of my, one of my, one of my sort of overarching drivers in life is that guilt, guilt is our, our, our best emotion. If you want to be, if you want to be your best self in business in life uh it's to kind of follow, follow that road so I, my mom's a, you know i'm italian so I, you know italian mom growing up there was a lot of guilt and instead of letting it hold me down i i used it as my roadmap for, for doing stuff so I'm gonna, hmm. yeah. well this would be an interesting conversation yeah it will be so we'll do that next okay. time thank you devo i'm gonna hit stop now everybody thank you, Jim. you know like subscribe follow follow devo check out his workshop check out his podcast it's great and and thank you so much for joining us.